So it was uh, November 7, 1918. The First World War had raged for about four years to this point, um, more, losing more lives in battle than actually any conflict in history. Over eight and a half million men, women, and children had lost their lives in the conflict to this point. At 8 p.m. that day, under cover of darkness, three vehicles from the German high command snaked their way through no man's land in northern France into enemy territory. Leaving their vehicles, the, the German envoy boarded a train and traveled in secret through the remainder of the night, through secret paths, to the force of Compagnie, France, just north of Paris, where they were to meet with the Allies' commander-in-chief, Marshal Ferdinand Falk. When they met with Marshal Falk, uh, Marshal Falk presented him with a list of demands, presented the envoy with a list of demands. And over the next three days, the Germans would try in vain to get the Allies to budge off of those demands. Ultimately, resigned to their fate on November the 11th, 1918, this Friday, 104 years ago, the Germans signed a ceasefire agreement, an armistice, to take effect on the 11th day of the 11th month at the 11th hour, bringing more or less an end to World War I. One year after the armistice was signed, uh, President Woodrow Wilson declared the 11th day of November Armistice Day, later changed by Congress in 1954 to Veterans Day, a day to celebrate all of America's veterans, a day to celebrate their patriotism, their love of country, and willingness to sacrifice for the common good. And I think it's fitting, don't you, to celebrate such sacrifice as we saw on the DVD uh, this morning and as we heard earlier in our Sunday school hour John 15, verse 13 says this, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But when I think about Veterans Day, and I look around me at this congregation before me, I'm reminded that we as Christians are all veterans in our own way as well. Remember, Ephesians 6, 12 says this, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And by the way, Christian, that word principalities in that verse, if you study that out, it has the connotation of rank upon rank upon rank of demons. There is a spiritual warfare being fought each and every day. And so this morning, if you'll indulge me, I'd like to take a look at Veterans Day in the context of that spiritual warfare. And while stories of extreme heroics, whether on the battlefield or maybe even in church or on the mission field, catch headlines and maybe catch our attention, today, what I'd like to do is take a look at one of the unsung heroes of our faith one of the unsung veterans that we see in Scripture, someone who's similar to you and me, and someone who fought spiritual battles each and every day, and four character traits that he possessed that made him a good soldier for Jesus Christ 
and four character traits that if we emulate, we too can be a good soldier for Christ. That man's name is Tychicus. Tychicus, or maybe some of you know him as Tychicus, but I have it on very good authority from a professor of Greek that his name is actually pronounced Tychicus, is a name we actually see five times in the New Testament. And it might be a new name to some of you. Now, it's not a common name in the New Testament era. And so each time we see his name in Scripture, we're confident that it's the same person being referred to. And we first meet Tychicus in the book of Acts. So let's go ahead and open our Bibles together this morning and turn to the book of Acts. If you're new to church, Acts comes right after the four Gospels in the New Testament. And I think it's important to open God's Word together and see the truth for ourselves. So please turn in Acts. We're going to go all the way to Acts chapter 20. We'll begin reading in verse number one. And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece. And there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Segundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus, and Trophimus. So looking at verse 4, right, we just see the name Tychicus. That's the first time we see it in the Bible. Um, not much is known just based on this verse, but we can tell a few things. First, we know that Tychicus is from Asia, right? And that means Asia Minor. That's not the Far East Asia that we often think about. He's from Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And from several different historical sources that we can piece together, we know that Tychicus is actually from the area of Ephesus. So if you want to think in your mind's eye, if you want to picture a global map or a map of the world up here, we might have you know, Italy over here, the big boot of Italy. Then we've got the Adriatic Sea. And then we've got Macedonia and what would they call Achaia in, uh, in the Bible times, and Greece, kind of this peninsula. And then we've got the Aegean Sea. And then we've got Asia, or Turkey. And on the coast there of Asia, or Turkey, is the town of Ephesus. And we believe that's where Tychicus is from. Trophimus, who's listed there right next to Tychicus, is from Ephesus proper. Um, some scholars say that Tychicus and Trophimus could have been brothers or close friends, but we don't know that. Um, but again, from the area of Ephesus, from his name alone, by the way, uh, we know that he's a Gentile. So we know he's from Asia. We know he's a Gentile. He's not a Jew, right? He doesn't have a Hebrew name. Not only that, Tychicus is a pagan name, pagan name meaning fortunate. But there's something about Tychicus that's different, right? He's no longer a pagan because he's traveling with Paul, right? We know that he's going to accompany uh, him, and they're going to this little band of travelers that are mentioned here in verse 4, I believe, are going all the way to Jerusalem to take an offering 
that Paul had collected from the churches in Europe and the churches in Asia over to Jerusalem. So that's what we've got here. We've got Tychicus, who is likely one of Paul's converts from Ephesus, joining him, going all the way to Jerusalem to carry an offering like we took up an offering this morning. They're going to carry this offering down to the church in Jerusalem, which was suffering some persecution. All right, so I think everyone's following with me. Now, to be clear, let me say this to some of you who may be doubting me already. Um, This says uh, in verse number 4, that the band of travelers accompanied Paul just into Asia. It doesn't say that they continued on from there into Jerusalem, nor does it say that they stayed put in Asia, right? So, but if you look and read later in the book of Acts, and you put pieces here and there together, you see Trophimus again listed in Acts um, there at Jerusalem. I, it's a strong opinion of mine that they were all in Jerusalem there with Paul. And so that's where we meet Tychicus for the first time. It's at the end of Paul's third missionary journey, He's traveling with Paul. Why does Luke, Luke wrote this book of Acts, why does he even mention Tychicus at all? I submit to you that Tychicus is listed here in Acts because Paul picked his travel companions very carefully. They were taking a large sum of money to the church at Jerusalem. They didn't have paper currency back then, right? And they couldn't write a check for $100,000 or whatever amount it was. Their currency was coinage, some form of metal. And if they're collecting offerings from all these different churches, you can imagine that they had a pretty good amount that they were taking into Jerusalem. And so what might you need if you're going to carry a treasure chest to Jerusalem? Might need a bodyguard, right? Might need someone who could fight, someone who's strong. Maybe you just need an extra set of hands to carry Not only that, but all the belongings. Remember, Paul was a tent maker. Maybe he was traveling back with all of those things. Um, You might need someone to carry that treasure chest, if you will. You'd need someone who could be trusted, not to run off with all of that stuff. Remember, they were headed to Jerusalem, and Paul would want an example of a good Gentile believer to accompany him there. And so when you wrap all of those things up together, I think the first character trait that we see a good soldier in Tychicus is someone who's willing to help, just someone who's willing to work. Hey, I need a bodyguard. I need someone to fight. I need someone to carry that. I need someone to put that onto the ship. I need someone to get all those parchments together. Tychicus, can you do that? And Tychicus was willing to help out. Tychicus was willing to serve in that way. Just whatever was needed, he would do it. And that's what we like to see from our servicemen and women, too. Right, as a lieutenant colonel, it's great to see an airman you know, under me who's willing to come to me at the end of the day. Hey, Colonel Ream, is there anything else you need from me? What can I do to help? And I love it when they do that. Now, in the military, of course, we can order people to do things, right? Um, but it's so much better when you've got someone who volunteers. Think about it in your own families. If you're a parent, it's so annoying to have to remind your children to do certain things. It's great when they volunteer, when they want to just be a help. And that's who we see Tychicus, the first character trait. He was a help. He's just someone willing to put his hand to the plow, not look back, to help out Paul. And remember this, you know, he's a convert of Paul's, likely. And so he's a constant reminder of God's goodness and mercy and strength, and the power of preaching, the, what the Bible calls the foolishness of preaching, and how that can actually break the bonds of sin when you hear the word of God. And that's a constant reminder to Paul. 
And so let me ask you this, Christian soldier. What can you do to help? What can you do to just lend a hand here in the church? Whether it's cleaning a bathroom or working in the nursery or just moving tables around, preparing for a lunch later on. Maybe it's teaching a class, taking up an offering, working as an usher. What are you doing to help? Are you laboring for the Lord? Character trait number one, he was a help. Let's continue to explore the scriptures so that we can find character trait number two. So as we go back into the book of Acts and as we know and understand our biblical history, Paul is there in Jerusalem. He delivers the offering, mission accomplished. But there he gets into some trouble with some Jews, actually Jews from Ephesus who had come back to Jerusalem to accuse Paul. And there's a big uproar that happens and Paul eventually gets arrested. And because he's a Roman citizen, he appeals to Caesar. And eventually, he gets sent by prison ship all the way back to Rome. And so let's fast forward to that time. It's about four years later now, and it's in, we're in Rome, so in Italy. And keep in mind, again, all you biblical scholars in the audience, you know this, Paul had two imprisonments in Rome. So arrested in Jerusalem, sent to Rome. The first imprisonment that he had, he was under kind of a house arrest. And he had a little bit of freedom. He was able to receive visitors, at least we know that from Acts. Um, and he was able at that time to write four different letters, what we call the prison epistles. Again, this is his first imprisonment. Later, he'd be imprisoned in the dungeons of Nero. But during his first imprisonment, he wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus, what we call Ephesians. He also wrote a letter to the church at Philippi. Philippians is what we call that in our Bible. A letter to the church at Colossae, or Colossians, and a letter also to Philemon. He wrote these four letters during his first imprisonment. So let's go over to the book or letter to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians. So after Acts, if you're looking in your Bibles, and again, you're new to church, we find all of Paul's epistles put together. And by the way, if you, this is free of charge, all of Paul's epistles, by the way, are put in order of how long they are. So not by chapter and verse. Chapter and verse came along later with Archbishop of Canterbury. He put chapters in there, and then there was a French printer who put the verses in there. But if you take all of Paul's epistles, put them together, you start at Romans, and if you exclude Hebrews from that list, we get uh, the order of epistles by order of their length. So we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll read in verse number 19. Well, actually, let's back up to verse 18. Praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, so again, asking for prayer, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds. He's talking about his imprisonment that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that ye, may, that ye also may know my affairs and how I do, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known unto you all things. So here we see Tychicus again. Again, four years have passed since Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, but who's there by his side in Rome while he's in prison? Tychicus. 
Tychicus is not only the helper we saw earlier, but he's a faithful minister. He stands by the stuff. He stands by Paul when times are, are troublesome. Remember what happened when Paul was arrested and he traveled by prison ship. There was a shipwreck. There was all sorts of things that happened to Paul. Paul is not a popular person. But who's with him? Tychicus is with him. In Rome, who knows of all Paul's cares and sorrows? Who knows of all of his affairs? Tychicus does. The Bible says this. Now, whether Tychicus was on the prison ship with Paul or not, we don't know. But again, Paul is, or Tychicus is a faithful minister. He's there by Paul's side. Can that be said of you? Think of our actual uh, warfare, our active duty members. It's great when we've got someone that you can depend on, isn't it? When you're in the foxhole, right, you want to be able to depend on the person next to you, someone who's faithful. When you're a pilot and you're about to take off in an aircraft, you want to depend upon those maintainers to be faithful in their job to make sure that you can actually take off and return home safely. You look for faithfulness as a quality of a good soldier, as a good airman, as a good sailor, as a good marine, as a good guardian now with our Space Force. It's a good quality to have as a soldier, as an active duty member, but it's also a great quality to have as a soldier for Christ and Christ's army. So let me ask you this. Are you faithful in some of the small things? Are you faithful to go to church? In verse 18, we saw Paul asking or telling them to pray. That's actually after a list of all of the uh, armor of God that we, we know as Christians. One thing often left lit out of that list is verse 18. One thing you must do as a Christian is be faithful to pray for one another as you engage in spiritual warfare. Oftentimes, you know, when a unit of men are looking to take ground or to take another position, what will happen is um, you'll have covering fire. So you'll have men all start to shoot in the same direction, right? That suppresses the enemy. The enemy gets scared, so they all duck down, right? And so that allows one person to go off to another area. And so our prayers are kind of like that suppressing fire, Lay it down to suppress the enemy, to allow freedom of movement for our troops, to let the gospel to go freely into all these different areas. So that's a part of our spiritual warfare that we see in verse 18. But that's who Tychicus is. is he's a faithful minister. He's beside Paul in the imprisonment. And so we ask for you, Christian, again, are you faithful? Are you faithful during turbulent times, through tribulation? Through depression, are you faithful to God? Through bad health, are you faithful? Are you faithful in the small things, faithful to each other? Trait number one, again, Tychicus was a help. Number two, he's a faithful minister. Let's continue on in Scripture. Let's turn over to the letter to the church at Colossae, the Colossians. So the letter to the church at Colossae. Colossians, and we're going to look in chapter 4. We're going to see Tychicus mentioned again. Colossians chapter 4, verse number 7. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, 
who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your state and comfort your hearts. So again, we see Tychicus here. Now, let me supply a little bit of backstory if you haven't picked up on it already. Paul's three letters to Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon, three out of four prison epistles were carried, hand-carried, by Tychicus. To put it plainly, Tychicus was kind of like a mailman of the New Testament. And that's maybe where you've heard his name before, right? Um, But this was no easy journey that Tychicus had to go on. Remember, picture in your mind a map, the Italian peninsula here, the boot, if you will. Rome is on the western side of that. And where does Tychicus have to go? He's got to go all the way over there. So he's going to go on ship, maybe, or by land. We don't know exactly how he was supposed to go, but he's to carry the letter to the Ephesians, to the to the Colossians, and to Philemon. He's going to carry those three letters. He's got to go all the way down to the Mediterranean Sea, all the way past the Adriatic Sea, past Greece, past Macedonia, past the Aegean Sea, back into Turkey, to Ephesus. That's where he's going to take these letters. So it's no easy mail route, but we know Tychicus is willing to help. I'll do it, Paul. I'll take him, right? He's got courage. He's a faithful minister. Let's look at Colossians 4, verse 9. Because there's somebody else going with Tychicus on this journey. Someone you might know if you've studied Scripture. Let's read in actually verse 8. Whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that he, Tychicus, might uh, know your estate and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Onesimus is going with Tychicus along to the church over at Colossae where Tychicus is going to deliver the letter to the Colossians. Why? Why is Onesimus going? Because Philemon belonged to that church. So how do we know that? Well, verse number 9, Onesimus says, Who is one of you? So he's a member of the church or he's of that area, of of Colossae. But if you piece that together, let's look over at Colossians 4.17. It says, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Combine that with Philemon, verse 2. You see Archippus mentioned again. So we know that the church at Colossae meets in Archippus' house, and that letter to Philemon mentions Archippus, and we know Onesimus is going back to Colossae. So that's how we know Philemon is there as a member of the church of Colossae. And remember who Onesimus was. He was Philemon's escaped slave. Now he was saved, according to the book of Philemon, verse number 10, in Rome under Paul's prison ministry. We often think of prison ministries as us going into the prisons trying to preach the word of God, but it's actually the opposite that we see here in the New Testament. Paul, in his imprisonment, is seeing souls saved. And one of his converts was Onesimus. And so Paul, in figuring out who Onesimus was, encourages him to return to his master, to make things right. And so here's Onesimus, who's going to help Tychicus deliver the letters to the Ephesians, to the Colossians, and yes, to Philemon, his master. Now there's a preacher over in Pennsylvania He's a Presbyterian, so don't shoot me for saying the word Presbyterian in a Baptist church. But Alistair Begg 
paints the, the picture this way. So Onesimus, you've got an escaped slave. He's traveling back with Tychicus. You know, Paul asks Onesimus, I'd like you to return. Can you imagine that trip back with Tychicus? You know, they're in Rome. They've got to go all the way out to the coast to Ephesus and then go on inland to uh, the church at Colossae. You know, Onesimus and Tychicus might be on the, the ship together, kind of over looking the side, looking out at the vastness of the Mediterranean Sea. And Onesimus speaks. He says, Tychicus, I don't know what it's going to be like when I get back. What do you think will happen? And Tychicus looks at him and tenderly considers his question and after a moment says, don't lose faith, Onesimus. At least we have the letter. You know, I'm sure Philemon will listen to Paul. And then there's a pause in the conversation and Onesimus says, you know, I'm so glad you came with me, Tychicus. Paul had taken me aside prior to our trip and he said to me, there's no one better than I could send, that I could send back with you than Tychicus. He's a beloved brother. He's a faithful minister. He's a fellow servant in the Lord. So we see Tychicus as number three. Write it down if you're taking notes. A beloved brother. Number one, he was a helper. Number two, he was a faithful servant, a faithful minister. Number three, he's a beloved brother. We saw earlier in Ephesians, now we see in Colossians as well, that he would comfort and encourage the hearts of those members in the church. In actual warfare, you want someone like that. Someone to rally behind. Someone to inspire you into the conflict. Someone that you can turn to in time of need. Are you that someone for someone here in the church? Are you a beloved brother? Someone that can come to you when they've got a heavy heart? Do you encourage the hearts of fellow believers? Do you comfort them in their time of need? It's an important trait of a good soldier. We've got one more trait to go, and I appreciate your patience with me as we go through these. We're going to continue on in Scripture. Let's turn now to the letter Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote to Titus. So the, what we call it the book of Titus in our New Testaments. If you know, if you can find all the T-lettered books, you'll see Thessalonians and Timothy. Titus is the last one. They're all there together. So turn to Titus. We'll look at chapter 3, verse number 12. When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. So here in Titus 3.12, we see Tychicus one more time. Paul at this time was released from his house arrest, at least from what we can piece together from different sources, about for a couple months. Um, He was given some sort of liberty, and he was probably somewhere on the west side of Greece near this town of Nicopolis that he mentions here in this letter. Now, he sends a letter to Titus stating that he's sending him some relief. So if you think of Titus, Titus was kind of like a deployed troop to Crete. 
laboring hard for the Lord there. Remember our definition of a missionary. It comes from Latin mito or matere. Um, it really just means, as we heard from Brother John the other night, a sent one, a person who has been sent. That's what missionary means. And he's been sent, Titus has been sent with the power of the gospel. If you go, we'll, yeah, we'll jump over to Romans chapter 1 really quickly. You don't have to turn there. Um, Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Again, it says the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. And that's what Titus had brought to the island of Crete was the gospel of Christ. That power, if you look in Romans and study that word out in Greek, it's the Greek word, Greek word dunamis, which is where we get our English word dynamite. Right? You want to think of something powerful? The gospel is like dynamite strong enough to blow apart the bonds of sin. And so that's what Titus is like. He's like, as one old Baptist preacher from England said, Titus was like an ICBM, an intercontinental ballistic missile, sent to Crete with the power of the gospel. Because remember who these Cretans were. If you read Titus, maybe you can do that this afternoon. Crete was not a nice place. Paul called the Cretans liars, evil beasts with slow bellies. And the church on Crete was plagued with false doctrine, Jewish fables, and carnality. And who does Paul think about sending to Titus to give him a little bit of a break, right? He thinks about sending Tychicus. Now, we don't know if Tychicus actually ended up there or not. But what we do know is that Tychicus is a help. He's willing to go. He's willing to work. He's a faithful minister, so we know he's going to stick by it if he does it. He's a beloved brother, so he's able to encourage people. But here's what we see uh, back in Colossians, and it's a term, the fourth character trait that I want to identify on Tychicus, and that's he's a fellow servant. I love this word servant. Pastor mentions this a couple of times, or I've heard him mention it a couple of times, but Paul refers to himself as a servant of Christ several times. That servant, that word servant, literally in the Greek, um, means, yes, bondservant, but slave. Right? That word is doulos. I was teaching at the Air Force Academy. I taught law there for three years. What do they call the freshmen at the Air Force Academy? Doulies, short for doulos, or slaves. Right? The freshmen are not treated well. They're like slaves. And that's what Paul calls himself, but that's what he also refers to Tychicus as. He's a fellow servant. He's bought, been bought with a price. He's not his own, right? He follows the orders of his master. He's a slave to Christ. Whatever Christ wants him to do, he will do. And isn't that what we expect of our soldiers and our military as well, our servicemen and women, that they obey the orders given to them? That's what we find here Tychicus doing. He's a slave. He's a fellow servant. He's willing to work. He's willing to encourage others. He's faithful in these things. And it's possible he went to Crete. It's possible he took the church there for a period of time to help Titus out as Titus went over to Nicopolis to see Paul. Let's turn now to 2 Timothy. And we'll see the last time we see Tychicus mentioned in Scripture. 
2 Timothy 4, verse 12. Simply says this, And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. Tychicus is going to be sent with Paul's last letter to Timothy. Paul will be soon executed by Nero in Rome. So he's back. He's in his second imprisonment. And he wants Timothy to come to him, to be with him at his time of death. And so who does he send to carry a letter to Timothy? Tychicus. But it's also likely that Tychicus is going to the church there at Ephesus to be, it's what the Bible refers to as its overseer or pastor. How his faith has grown in maybe seven or eight years from the time he likely first got saved. Again, he may have already taken the, ch- the church in Crete for some time. He's not a novice in the faith, but he's ready and willing to do what is needed. He's a help. He's a faithful minister. He's a beloved brother. And he's a servant, a fellow servant. And that's all we know of Tychicus. But can those things be said of you, Christian? Are you a help? Are you a faithful minister? Are you a beloved brother? Are you a fellow servant in the Lord? How are you doing? Every day is a battle to do what's right, to spread the gospel, to be a good soldier for Christ. Are you even fighting? How many of us, and I I preach this to myself, how many of us let the pressures of the day crowd out the things of the Lord? How many of us give in to temptation rather than doing what's right? How many of us are just simply afraid to go next door? Not to go to Ephesus from Rome, but just go next door to tell your neighbor about the goodness of God and his love and his sacrifice for sins. We can't even do that because we're too ashamed. We've got too much pride in ourselves. We're too concerned for our own reputation to be a good witness. So consider that this week. What are you doing to be a good soldier for Christ? Now let me address the non-believer. I don't know in here who's a believer and who's not. You might be thinking, you know, Lieutenant Colonel Rehm, all that was, you know, great, you know, it was a good story, I liked it, but uh, I don't believe it. You know, faith, that's for people who are weak. I don't need any of that. Friend, I want you to hear me when I say this. You're in the same spiritual warfare we all are engaged in. You're simply fighting for the wrong side. The Bible says in James 4.4 that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And the enemies of God will be punished. In Revelation 21.8, you can turn there. Revelation 21.8. We are drawing to a close. Revelation 21.8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving, the unbelieving, and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, and if you've told a lie, you're a liar, shall have their part in the lake which burneth 
with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Friend, we all know that our bodies wear out at some point. That's the first death. But the Bible speaks here of a second death, a death in eternity called hell, where fire and brimstone are present. And that second death is reserved for all sinners, as we just heard. And yes, we're all sinners. I've sinned, you've sinned. Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. But there is hope. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Christ, who is God in human flesh, came to the earth to die on a cross for your sins. And he was raised on the third day in order to give you life and victory over sin. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Turn in your Bibles over to John chapter 3. I quoted John 3.16 earlier. I'd like to read John 3.36 for you now. The Bible says this, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Until you believe on Christ as your Savior, God's wrath abides on you. There will be no peace deal. There will be no ceasefire. There will be no armistice for you. Here's the thing, though. In spiritual warfare, if you're on the wrong side, on the losing side, you can switch sides. God lovingly and willingly allows you into his army. But here's the thing. You have to surrender. You must surrender to him. You must turn from your side to his. And once you do, he will create in you new life. You'll be born again, free from the bondage of sin. Your new uniform will be Christ's righteousness. Let's go to Romans 5.10. Romans 5.10 says this, For if when we were enemies, it means enemies to God, we were reconciled to God, By the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Christ died for your sins. And by accepting his payment for your sins on the cross, by believing on that, by trusting him as your savior, you can switch sides in the battle. You can be on the winning side because Christ's victory is secure. The Bible speaks of it at the end of time, Christ. And God are victorious over sin and evil. There is actually no battle, right? The Bible speaks of a battle, but it's already won. And so I ask you this, will you surrender and join the winning side? It's a choice. God gives you that free choice. Again, in Christ, your victory is sure. 1 John 5, 4 says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. I'll invite Pastor up 
um, to give a word of invitation. Thank you, brother. Let's all stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. We're going to have a time of invitation this morning. And have a word of prayer, and then we'll have a time of invitation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the message. Thank you for the time together today. Lord, if, if there's those here that do not know you as their Savior, Father, help them to see their lost condition. Lord, the wages of that sin is death, but your Son died so that we all can have eternal life. Lord, work in our hearts, Lord, if the Christians here today are not in the battle, Lord, if we're not, if we're not like Tychicus and, and following you and faithful and, and willing to serve, Lord, show us that pride and that sin and help us to take care of it this morning. Working in this invitation, Lord. So as we stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if the Lord spoke to you this morning, now is the time to take care of it.